Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. Amen. For the next uh, two or three weeks, I'm going to be sharing about tactics of the enemy. And I wasn't sure how far I'd get today, so I'm going to go as far as I can today and stop, and we'll pick up there next week. So I'm going to talk about five different tactics that's used by the enemy. And did you know that all human, all human beings have a supernatural enemy? You know that? Now, some of you may have more than one enemy, but you all have a supernatural enemy. Jesus described a little bit about it in a very familiar passage of Scripture, John chapter 10, verse 10. And the Amplified Bible says, The thief comes only in order to steal and to kill and to destroy. That sounds like an enemy, doesn't it? I came that you may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. You have an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We refer to him as Satan, the devil, the enemy of God. He's your enemy. Now, you know, not everyone believes in the devil. Not everyone believes that he exists. The Barna Research Survey said that 40% of professing Christians all agreed that Satan is not real. He's only a symbol of evil. It's amazing, isn't it? But Satan, or one term for Satan, is mentioned 29 times in the Gospels, and 25 of those were what Jesus was talking about. The word devil that we often use it comes from the Greek word diablos, which means slanderer, accuser. It, it, it gives a picture of someone who continually comes against you and attacks you and with an onslaught of lies and deceit. In the Hebrew word in Leviticus chapter 17, 7 for devil is translated from the he word sayer, S-A-I-R, which literally means goat. And I think you see from some symbols of goat worship and of idol worship that you see the symbol of a goat head. Now, there are different titles in the scripture. And look, understand when we talk about this, I'm going to take a little bit of time to talk about the enemy, your enemy, my enemy, we refer to as the devil or Satan. But I am not putting him on a pedestal, nor is that going to be my focus. We're not supposed to make him more powerful than what he is. Not supposed to give him room. Not supposed to give him that much attention except to stand against him. But I want to just hit it just for a little bit here. Talk about the titles, the names for Satan in the scripture. And I, I could give you all the verses for this, but I won't take time to do this. I'm just going to go over the names that you find that refers to the devil or Satan in the scripture. Lucifer is how we hear first. It was, of course, an angel there. And he rebelled against God, was cast out from the heavenlies down to uh, earth, if you will, and uh, referred to as Lucifer, the morning star, referred to as a serpent in Genesis 3, the ruler of the God of this world, the prince or ruler of devils, the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2, power of darkness, Colossians 1, Leviathan, Isaiah 27, Beelzebub, Matthew 12, Abaddon, Revelation 9, the dragon, Revelation 12, 19, Acts says, this great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. He's referred to as accuser, 
or accuser of the brethren. He's the father of lies, the murderer, a tempter, roaring lion, adversary, the wicked one. And Satan in Hebrew literally means adversary or enemy. It's important. If you're going to win, it's important for you to know the tactics and the strategy of your enemy. And some of you that have been in the military certainly know more about that than I do. Uh, actually, a Chinese general by the name of Sun Tzu, in the 6th century, he was the author of The Art of War. And this is what he said. He said, know your enemy and yourself and you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. He said, what is essential in war is victory, not prolonged operations. And we've seen that. That doesn't work. Vic, and I, I think you make spiritual application here. He said, victorious war, warriors win first and then go to war. While defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. And I tried to make spiritual application that if you as a Christian go into battle with a victory mentality knowing that this battle has it's already been won, that through Jesus, through the cross, through defeating the enemy, when you go into it, you go in as a conqueror, an overcomer, and you see it come to pass. But most Christians, or many Christians I might say, actually when we approach some type of attack or feel like the enemy's coming against us, there's a problem, we're in warfare. What happens is we go into it kind of defeated and then we try to work ourselves out and wonder how we can win. The Lord wants us to learn that by faith you go in that situation knowing that you've already won. Now, I don't care who says it. That is a good word. It changes your whole outlook on how you face the attack of the enemy. Know who your enemy is and what he's capable of. Know where you are at risk of an attack. Know where the enemy is vulnerable and how to attack the enemy. Now, before I go any further, three things. We need to, first of all, know that we do have an enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Stay alert, be sober, watch out for your great enemy, your adversary, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, seeking whom he may devour. Secondly, you need to know that he's already been defeated. Now we have to... We have to learn to walk in it and appropriate it, but he's already has been defeated. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The third thing is you need to know, you need to know that all power comes from him. First John chapter 3, verse 8 says, For this purpose the Son of Man was manifested, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Colossians 2, he said he dismantled principalities and powers of evil. And Jesus made an open show. He has been defeated already and know that you are greater or that you're greater because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. James chapter 4 verse 7 the Bible says that God resists the proud is verse 6 but he gives grace to the humble. So submit to God to the authority of God. Resist the devil. Stand firm against him and what will happen? He will flee from you. Literally in the Greek that is flee from you in terror. And that gives the picture of a lawbreaker that you're after and he's trying to get out and escape. And that's the way we're supposed to approach the enemy. Now, how many of you know 
that for many believers and Christians, this is, not their, this is not the way they see. When an attack of the enemy, they cow down or they get in fear and they wonder what's going to happen. Instead of approaching it, the fact that through Christ, you already have the victory over him. But we have to exercise it. We have to know it and exercise it. Now, we're going to look at five tactics of the enemy. We will not get there today, but I'm going to start with the first one. First of all, one of the tactics I want to talk about is the tactic of deception. Do you know why deception is one of the most dangerous attacks of the enemy? Somebody tell me. Why is deception one of the most dangerous? Pardon me? Yeah, this is true. And and the fact is, is that it's dangerous because when you're deceived, you don't know that you are. The reason you don't know that you are is because you're deceived. So it can be very, very dangerous. To deceive means to misguide, to trick, to delude, to defraud, to dupe. It's uh, giving a false representation or impression. It's to beguile. It's to lie. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever been deceived? (laughs) Probably most of us have been deceived by advertising. I don't know where, I think you probably know if you've ever done this, you see something on television that seems to be the most wonderful thing, the greatest invention, it is great. And then when you order it and get in the box, first of all, it's not as big as it looked on TV. And next of all, it doesn't work like they said it worked on TV, but you ordered it, they gave you, a, they gave you false representation, they tricked you, they duped you. Advertising can dupe you. Advertising can mislead you, Right. How many of you ever been misled by advertising, by commercials? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, you can be, uh, you can be, actually, uh, you can be deceived by someone else, by someone. Anybody uh, that you know that uh, didn't end, it didn't turn out that they were who they said they were. And you were deceived as to what that person was like. You were deceived as to their words. It wasn't true. It hurts. It hurts when you're have, you know someone, you're in a relationship with someone, and they deceive you. It hurts. And yet people do often deceive one another. People, are, people deceive themselves. <laughs> Some people are very good at that. They de- deceive themselves. Lie to themselves about themselves or about their relationship with someone else. And they're just deluded. They're just walking around in some la-la land. I mean, it's just like, you know, they're living in a life that's really, it's not real. It, they think it's real, but it's not real. We call that being deceived. Now, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, or, and I'm not thinking of any individuals in particular. I'm, I'm giving a disclaimer. I know what a disclaimer is, you know, so people won't throw things at you. This is a disclaimer. And you understand that that, oh yeah, Pastor Dennis, he's getting over on Facebook again. Yeah, I'm going to move there for just a second, just, just a second. Do you know that some people are delusional when they take a selfie and put it on Facebook? I'll move on from there. I won't say any more <laughs> there. <laughs> uh, I'm not thinking about anybody. Things, people don't always look like they think they look. Can I hear a better amen that? <laughs> Things are not always as they appear. I, I remember the story. Let me, let me just 
I think this is interesting, that in 1989, Princeton University welcomed a new freshman. His name was Alexi Santana. Now, the admissions, the admissions committee, they were excited. There was this extraordinary, compelling story that he had. He had barely received any formal schooling. He spent his time almost entirely alone, living outdoors in Utah, where he herded cattle and raised sheep, and he read philosophy. Running throughout the Mojave Desert, he had trained himself to be a distance runner. He quickly became something of a star on campus. He excelled academically. And when his roommate asked Santana how his bed was always so perfectly made, he answered and said, well, I sleep on the floor, which seems to make logical sense if he hadn't been used to sleeping on the bed. Uh, except this was not true. It was a lie. About 18 months after he enrolled at Princeton, a woman recognized him as someone that she had known years ago in Palo Alto High School in California. His name was Jay Huntsman. But even that wasn't real. Princeton officials learned he was actually, his name was James Hogue, a 31-year-old who had been in prison in Utah for possession of stolen goods. And he was taken away in handcuffs. They were deceived. People are not always as they seem. Deception is one of the most powerful tactics of the devil. Why? We're told that he's a liar and he's a father of lies. And when you look at deception, that's what it's all about, is lying. Half-truths. From the beginning, back in Genesis 3, you remember? He approached Steve. Well, you need... Has God told you you can eat from it? Well, God said I can, we can eat of all this fruit except for one tree. Did God say that? Planning doubt. And he said, yeah, if we do that, then we'll die. And he says, you'll not die. That's not the truth. He deceived her. Eve was deceived. It's been a weapon of the enemy since the very beginning. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 that he blinds the minds of unbelievers. And I've seen this so often. People that just seem to be oblivious to the truth and even when you try to share the gospel with them it's like there's some type of curtain there and sometimes when you're reaching out to people to win them for Christ you need to pray for them very diligently for a while because that oftentimes the enemy has had them deceived and it's like there's a there's a cloud there they cannot see clearly you need to pray for that thing to come down and break it in the name of Jesus so that they can hear and receive for some, for whatever reason, they've allowed themselves to be blinded from the truth. The Bible says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So this is deceptive. Some things that look very good are not good at all, right? He masquerades, and in fact, the Bible says that there will be false prophets that go about in sheep's clothing. It's deceptive. When it comes to being deceived by the enemy, three things. First of all, we're deceived as to the nature of God, what God is really like, who he is. The, the devil loves to blame God for stuff. The source of good and evil, we're deceived. We don't really know the truth there. And even some lies are told in church concerning that, misrepresentation of it. We're deceived because if we could really, really know down deep inside what our Father's like and the love that he has for us, how in the world would we ever turn away from it? But the devil deceives, gives a different picture of what God is like. We're deceived, sometimes people are deceived as to the seriousness of sin. Oh, sin, it's no big deal. I'm just going to do it one time. I'm just going to go there one time. It, it's no big deal. Everybody does it. It's no big deal. 
Well, how many of you know that anytime we step over in disobedience and darkness, it can be a very big deal. And the reason God hates sin is because he loves you. And sin, disobedience will destroy. It's important for us to know that sin is serious. What, he, what the devil does is he changes terminology. We call him a wordsmith. He changes terminology. Uh, abortion and murder is called reproductive freedom and choice. Sodomy is called gay. Fornication is called, is called cohabitation. He changes the terminology so it doesn't sound quite so serious. But people are so deceived today at times because they do not see that any rebellion or disobedience of God will bring harm. It will hurt. You're playing into the hands of the enemy. And, and we don't want to do that. And then also we can be deceived as to our position in Christ. And this is one of the tools I think the enemy really uses as far as deceiving us because he loves to take and basically rub your nose in the dirt. He loves to remind you of your failures, show you or try to tell you that you're unworthy. And, to, as, and, and how in the world can you approach God and believe God? Because look at who you are. And, and if we don't know our position in Christ, oftentimes we cannot stand in faith. We'll give in to fear. We'll give in to doubt. We're not worthy to approach you, Lord. But the Scripture wants us to know that we're worthy through the blood of Jesus. In and of ourselves, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But through Christ, what has happened? We talk about it a lot. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us that we who have sin might become the righteousness of God in Him. That basically means there's been a great exchange. Now if you trust Christ and you're following Him, you stand as righteous in his sight, forgiven and clean. And the enemy would love for you to walk around with a guilt complex and feeling like you're unworthy. Because, you know, and, and, and you don't need to do that. You need to realize that in Christ you have a position of forgiveness. You have a position of, uh, of, of, of being a part of, of his family, knowing that you're loved, deceptive. The Bible teaches us that we need to learn to discern. And by discern, we, the word means perceive or detect or to recognize the difference between true and false, difference between good and evil. To do that, let me quickly name these things. To help you discern and to keep from being deceived, first, you have to make a solid commitment to the Word of God. I know that comes up quite often, but bottom line is that's where it often starts. You must make a solid commitment to get the Word of God in you. Hebrews 5 verse 13 says, solid food is made for those who are full age, mature. That is for those who by reason of use have their, their senses have been exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, as you grow spiritually, grow in the Word and grow spiritually, the ability to recognize deception and truth will, should increase. It should intensify it should become clearer and clearer to you as you grow in Christ. You should be able to distinguish between the two. Oftentimes, immature Christians, young Christians, have, maybe have a difficult time doing that. But as believers grow in the Word and get more mature, then we have the ability to discern, to know better. Secondly, we need to connect to church. I'm not talking about connect to going to church. I'm talking about we need to connect to church. If you're going to avoid being deceived, you need to find a body of believers that will speak into your life, a body of believers that you can move together and grow together and do life together because in this you can actually provide a, 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 a protection, uh, a support that will help you fall in deception. Um, 
I think probably many of us have avoided some real pitfalls because we had someone that loved us enough and honest enough to us to tell us the truth. We need one another. I'm telling you as believers, we need one another. Thirdly, we need to carefully guard our heart and our mind. Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. This world will deceive you. Beware of it. Learn to discern what's true and what isn't. And then fourthly and finally, continually pray. If you're going to stay free from, stay free from deception, learn to live a life of prayer. Philippians 1 verse 9 and 10 says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense in the day of Christ. It takes a life of continual prayer. Now, number one tactic is, it's not necessarily the most important, but we've ranked it as number one, we said, is deception. It can be extremely dangerous. Let me touch on, before we go today, let me touch on the second one here. And the second one is dread. Number one, deception. Number two is dread. And by one of the definitions of dread is fear. And one uh, tactic that the enemy uses over and over again against us is fear. Fear. Alarm, terror, anxiety. The word phobia comes from the Greek word phobos, which is basically fear or horror. You know, uh, you know what claustrophobia is? Fear of tight places, restricted places. You know what agoraphobia is? It's fear of open spaces. Acrophobia is the fear of heights. Orphidiophobia is the fear of snakes. Arachnophobia is the fear of spiders. We, got, we have to give labels today. Astrophobia is the fear of storms. Some of you got astrophobia and didn't even know it. Misophobia is the fear of germs and dirt. Glossophobia is the fear of public speaking. Trypanophobia is the fear of needles or medical. <laughs> Here's one I, the ones they put up there is the ones I want to put up there. I don't know where you can see that clearly or not. But I found this week that there's a nomophobia, which is the fear of being without a cell phone. We've actually created a term. Some of you may have problems with this. I just imagine how life was when the only phone we had was tied to the wall, you know, and we actually got out and traveled and did things without being able to call or talk. How did we ever survive that? But anyway, nomophobia is a fear of being without cell phone. Euphobia is a fear of good news. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Euphobia is the fear of good news. That some people don't want to hear good news. It's amazing to me. Ecclesiophobia, I don't know anybody, anybody, anybody suffer from that. That's the fear of church. I know there are some people who suffer from that. And then there is the phobophobia, which means you're fear of phobias. So <laughs> fear, fear is all around us. The members of one psychology class asked 500 people, what are you afraid of? Those 500 people named 7,000 things they were afraid of. Fear. Now there's a right kind of fear and there's a wrong kind of fear. And fear does certain things to us and there's a way you can attack that and overcome. We'll talk about that next week. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word today, for just a great time sharing. I thank you, God. We can just be together and just express our love to you and just love on one another as your family. We're grateful for that today. We're grateful that as we meet, Lord, we can encourage one another. 
This is not about attending a service and standing and, and, and sitting in a seat and standing in rows and going through a routine. This is about coming together as a body of believers, expecting your presence to be demonstrated in us as a body of believers, as a church, and experiencing your word sown into us and experience your presence through the Holy Spirit and showing us things that we need in our lives that will transform us and change us for the days ahead. I pray that that's what's happening in us today. I thank you for each and every person in this place and for their families. I thank you, Lord, that their future is better than their past, that good things are coming into their life, and I don't say that lightly. I thank you for those that have been attacked so often and feel wounded. I thank you that they're beginning to understand and see that they don't have to walk that way, don't have to live that way, and they can discover how to walk in victory, experience it, walk through the tough times, knowing that you're always present with them. God bless each one as they go today. May they experience your love today in a beautiful way. Watch over them during this next week, God, and thank you for what you're doing in all of our lives. We give you the praise for it now. In Jesus' name. Can we celebrate him one more time before we go today? God bless you. Have a great day today. We love you.